Okay, I have... Oh. So, late January was our last recording, right? No, no February. Yes. Uh-oh. Yes. Okay. I'm supposed to start. Okay. We have... For anyone listening, all this rustling <laughs> is... Uh, we had a listener who Megan has decided... Oh, I'm Peter. And yes. Hello, I'm Megan. And this is... Uh, why did you read that? Chaotic in, uh, introduction. Yeah. Welcome, everyone, to the chaos that is us. Yeah, we've determined it's my turn to introduce, and I think it's going exactly as you would expect it to. <laughs> um, we had a listener who Megan has designated our adult. Yes. Uh, made a spreadsheet of all of our episodes. Yes. And then... It includes the date, mm -hmm. who spoke first, uh, description, which is like the books we talked about, uh, link, and then your joke. Yes. And then it has a joke rating on a five-star scale. Joke rating. And it, apparently my jokes vary widely in quality. But yes. overall, I think they were positively received. Um, let's see. She hated Why Can't You Run in a Campground? Which I don't remember. Uh, because it's past, you can only ran because it's past tense. <laughs> yeah, she hated that one. <laughs> but then she loved, um, okay, there were two that she loved. What concert only costs 45 cents to attend? Do you remember? 50 cent with Nickelback. Correct. Uh, five stars, clapped, was so good. <laughs> can confirm. And then the next one was, why don't we see elephants hiding in trees? I don't remember. Because they're so good at it. <laughs> and then that's five stars, pride laughing. <laughs> <laughs> so very much appreciated those jokes. Oh, also five stars to what do sprinters eat before they race? Do you remember? No. They don't. They fast. Oh, yeah, that is a good one. <laughs> I like that one. So we traditionally start the episodes with a joke. Yes, we do. And uh, I assume you have one. For I do us. have a joke. I've, I actually have several, and I'm trying to pick between them. I'm going to go. There's one that I really liked, and one that my office roommate really liked, mm -hmm. and one that we both were kind of in the middle about. So I'm going to go with the middle middle ground and see how that goes. Okay. What did Tennessee? <laughs> I don't know. The same thing as Arkansas. What? Tennessee oh, saw the same thing oh, as Arkansas. Oh, boy. Ooh, I don't know. No? All right. Do you want a different one? Yeah. Let's, hear, right. let's hear the other ones. Um, I'm going to rate these. You want on all three? My personal scale. Yeah. Okay. So the one that I really liked is, why did the man fall down the well? <laughs> I don't know. Because he couldn't see that well. <laughs> All right, that's above the other one okay. so far. I really <laughs> like that one. And the one that she really liked is, why do melons have weddings? I don't know. Because they cantaloupe. Oh, that one's pretty good, too. Mm, I don't know. I think that's my bottom. Then we've got states, but then the well is the top for me. Thank you. I also really like the well. See, I should go with my gut. Now, I have a little something okay. that I brought. All right. Oh, yeah, that's right. I think you told me about this. I am an amateur joke writer at home, <laughs> which means I think of a joke and then uh, my partner is uh, subject to them. Reluctant audience? 
Yeah, not even really reluctant audience, more just like it's the jokes just happen and she's in the room and she can't escape because she doesn't mind in her own business and one bounces off her head. Yeah. She's like, I can tell on your face when you say certain things that you're thinking of a joke, but it's like seeing a bomb, you know, and it's like counting down on the big digital timer, but it's like one second left. (laughs) You can't, you can't dive out a window fast enough. (laughs) Okay. So what do you call two pieces of bread who've been together for a long time? I don't know. Stalemates. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of the better ones that she approved of me saying out loud (laughs) to a broader audience. You know, it is, it's a whole concept. It makes sense. Uh, So I applaud you for, for that. I have read worse jokes looking for bad jokes on the internet. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so today... Uh, we, now that we've consulted our grown-up spreadsheet. That's right, yeah. We may have to come back to this for something. I can't remember what it was. Oh, because there was one point at which I think you went first twice. Oh, really? Yeah, June 25th and July 30th. <laughs> you went twice. Twice in a row. I'm just pulling extra weight. So, well... I didn't anticipate you looking at it that way. (laughs) I anticipated great guilt. (laughs) I'd get a huge apology. (laughs) Have you you met me? Yeah, I don't know why I didn't think of it that way. (laughs) Because once you said it, I was like, oh yeah, I guess that is (laughs) maybe doing more work. (laughs) So the way this show works is uh, we each bring four book titles. Yes. And uh, I'll pick two of Megan's that I want to hear about. She'll pick two of mine that she wants to hear about. Correct. And we'll talk about those two a piece a little more in depth. Mm-hmm. And then we briefly just a couple sentences about the others. Then we uh, rambly day. wrap it up. Yeah. <laughs> this month, because April is poetry month. Yes, it is. We did poetry. Yes, we did. Sort of. Yeah, I think we both maybe took a broader view of what poetry means. We did. I have I have some poetry adjacent stuff. Okay. Because uh, basically I thought it would be good to talk about because I think poetry has a bad reputation that's also a good reputation, I guess. Yeah, it has an unapproachable reputation. Yeah, it's like for your, you know, that weirdo college professor you had. Yeah. Who was like dreaming of his, oh, captain, my captain moment. Right. You know, but he was like, oh, Yates is amazing. And like. <laughs> any the only poems worth knowing are the ones you need a dictionary while you're reading it. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be by some British guy you've never heard of. Yeah. Long who, dead. Oh, so long dead. <laughs> Who's talking about things that you're like, I don't even know what this yeah. guy's talking about. And then in the footnote, it says this is a reference to a 1593 House of Lords member who famously said X. Yeah. And it caused a scandal. Yeah. Like, oh, OK. And you read the quote and you're like, I don't even know what that means. Like, <laughs> a sweet burn, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it feels like reading something like if I wrote a poem about like Joe Biden you know, that was like a burn on Joe Biden. Right. And someone's trying to read it a thousand years from now. Yeah. And they're like, I don't even know what this means. Who like, is that guy? Who is he? What is a Democrat and a Republican? Yeah. What does that mean? 
what is Antifa? I don't understand any of this. That's what it feels like to, yeah. to read some of that. Yeah. So I thought it would be good for us to talk about poetry because I thought we could bring some stuff to the table that was a little bit more accessible. Yeah. And enjoyable. Yeah. And like, maybe that's my overall message here is like, it's fine to just read it for enjoyment. Yeah. And like, if you're not enjoying it, it's fine to not read that poem. That's true like, for any book, I'd say. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. I was reading one uh, in preparation for this that I thought I was going to enjoy and super did not enjoy. Mm. So I quit. I have one of my selections that I half like and half don't. So. Yeah. Well, it's okay to have a love-hate relationship yeah. with it, too. So, um, I guess I'll start with my, my yes, four. Yes, go first. Okay, so one is a book called The Light at the Edge of Everything okay. by Lisa Zimmerman. Oh, okay. Um, she's a local poet she and is. teaches. I, fun fact, I actually worked in the English department when she was teaching at UNC, so I know her. Boom. <laughs> Um, yeah, she teaches in the English department over she there. She still does? Yeah. Cool. Yep. And, uh, as of a few years ago, I, everything got messed up after 2020, so I don't yeah. know, but as of a few years ago, she was running their, like, visiting authors thing. I'm trying to remember what that was called. Yeah, I know what you mean, but I don't know what it's called. Every spring, they'd bring, like, three authors, yeah. and they would do talks and stuff. It was really cool. The next one is a book called Old Man Laughing by Robert King. Okay. Also a local local legend. Yeah. He's passed away a few years ago. Probably like several years ago now. But uh, I think both of those books share something in common, which is like super readable poetry. And people would probably recognize some of the local landscape of northern Colorado and things yeah. like that. The next one is a book called Poetry 180, and it's uh, fairly well known in the poetry world because uh, Poet Laureate at the time, Billy Collins, this was kind of, when you're Poet Laureate, you're supposed to sort of do a project. Mm -hmm. And this was his project, and the idea was there's 180 days in the school year, and so there's a poem to read every day over the intercom in the school. Um, and they're all supposed to be poems that are like... They make sense. Yeah. They're not like impenetrable. Um, and, it, you know, just to kind of make it fun or make you think about something. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a collection by a bunch of different authors. And the last one is a book called The Poetry Home Repair Manual. I wondered if you'd pick that one. I know you love it. I do. The Poetry Home Repair Manual, colon, Practical Advice for Beginning Poets by Ted Kuzer, mm -hmm. who's also a really talented poet. Um, but I wanted to bring that one because it's not necessarily just a collection of poems, but I think people might enjoy it. Okay. So those are my four. All right. Well, I think I would like to start with a local poet and let's go with Light at the Edge of Everything. Okay. Since I kind of know her. So, yeah, she's got a couple books that we have, The Light at the Edge of Everything and another one, How the Garden Looks from Here. Okay. Oh, I was like, I'm not going to yeah, remember. You were looking at me like you were hoping for an answer yeah. and I had nothing. <laughs> <laughs> There's desperation in my eyes. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, I'm not going to remember. <laughs> so Lisa writes, I mostly poems that I think are like, uh, they feel spoken. They okay. feel like someone talking. They feel 
casual in a way that's not um, forced. Mm-hmm. But conversational? Also, yeah, they feel kind of conversational, but like as you read them, you feel like lulled into the conversation or drawn into the conversation. And then it usually takes you somewhere unexpected. Okay. It can be somewhere kind of um, full of grief. It can be some somewhere full of hope. Um, she writes quite a bit about nature. Uh, she writes quite a bit about animals, uh, horses, dogs in particular, and then her family as well. I think what I like about her is I think that her poems are to me like the perfect example of just sort of like a free verse poem most of the time where it doesn't necessarily have to rhyme in a certain scheme and it's not she doesn't write a lot of poems that are super tied into a form you know it's kind of more like whatever she's writing about sets the form for her in a lot of ways I also wanted to bring her up because so I had her as a teacher for classes um and she had my favorite rule that I've ever gotten from a poetry teacher. Okay. So, like, you can imagine when you're teaching a poetry class to, like, a bunch of freshmen in college. And that's, like, kind of challenging because probably 75% of the class does not want to be there. <laughs> well, and the other 25% is on the way out of their bad high school poetry phase. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or just entering it. Just, as, yeah, I mean, you know, some of us are late bloomers. There are no limits here. <laughs> and so she didn't really have a lot of rules about what you could and couldn't do but the only rule she had was that her first semester students could not use the word soul oh and i was like that's such an odd rule but as we went through i was like i kind of get it because she was like you can talk about the concept of a soul you can talk about how you feel about things you could do you just cannot use that word And it was, I think, one of the simplest but also most interesting rules that I've ever come across and probably a great way to deal with, yes, coming out of like, okay, here's the difference between me writing a poem in my diary and me writing a poem that I'm supposed to bring to class, you know, and hand to a teacher. Right. She also had us do an assignment where you had to memorize and then recite a poem. Um, and you had to, you know, they were of increasing length. And I thought that was a great assignment and something to talk about here too, is like, that can be kind of a fun way to like, get into poetry a little bit, like find a poem you really like and try to memorize it Mm -hmm. and try to say it. And then you have like this relationship with the poem and it, I don't know, you, you can dig into it more deeply without getting too academic about it. Yeah. So having like a really deep relationship with a small number of poems, you don't have to read an entire book of poems. You can kind of skip around. That was another thing she did. The first assignment we did was we had to pick up a book of poems, pick a title, but then you had to not read the poem. You had to write your own poem with that title. Mm. So it kind of gives you like a starting kernel of a direction to go in. Right. But also it got me in the habit of like, when I was here at the library, I would go to that section, pick up a book, and just look at the table of contents and see if the titles were interesting. Yeah. And then just flip to, you know, page 45 and see if I like it. (laughs) And if I'm like, "Eh, I'm not hot on that, then maybe try one more. And 
that's not good, I just leave. You know, and you don't have to go through in order. Yeah. You don't have to read them all. And like, it's a one of the advantages of poetry, right, is you can pretty quickly determine. It's not like if I pick up a detective novel, I can't skip to page 45 read 10 lines and be like, ooh, not for me. Right. I don't know what's going on, you know? <laughs> but poetry lets you do that. Yeah. So I, want, I wanted to recommend her poems because I think they're really pretty. I really enjoy them. She is a really nice person and a gentle soul. <laughs> but Now that you're not in her class, yeah, you're allowed to say it. I do whatever I want. I say soul all the time now. <laughs> I even misspell the soles of my shoes just so I can do it that way. But also because I think she opens a doorway for a lot of people through her poems and through her teaching. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really awesome person to have in our community. And uh, I think that her book is a good introduction to who she is. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Done. Good job. One down. One down. <laughs> All right. Would you like to hear my four? I would. I think I played a little faster, a little looser than you did. Typical Megan. Typical me. <laughs> <laughs> um, one is a poet that I know you know because I only found him through you. So my first one is Love Poems for the Office by John Kenny. Mm -hmm. My second is Working on a Song by Anais Mitchell. Mm -hmm. And that is basically the lyrics of a musical and how they came to be in their form, in the finished form of the musical. Because okay. it took like 12 years to develop. Jeez. So it's all the iterations of the songs and how they got to where they are and why, basically. All right. Uh, then I have Devotions by Mary Oliver. Mm -hmm. And finally, I have a novel in verse called Love, Dishonor, Mary, Die, Cherish, Perish by David Rakoff. I would love to hear about that one. Yeah? Yeah. This is the one I have a love-hate relationship with. I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> I love um, how playful it is. Yeah. So it's basically, it's a story of I, I have several generations of people. It kind of goes through history and ends up being on one guy named Clifford and kind of focuses on him. But you learn about him by following like his ancestors up, you know, through history. And the, the way that it's written is very, like, elementary school rhymey. It's very sing-songy, um, lots of very straight rhymes. Right. <laughs> like, you know, there's nothing clever about the rhymes here. They're, they're fairly easy to find 95% of the time. Yeah, like you're almost anticipating what the exactly. rhyme's going to be. Almost like a limerick rhyme, yeah. you know, where... <laughs> da 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 Exactly. da 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 Da, 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 Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I like that about it. Um, I like that it makes, it makes it relatively easy to understand what's going on. But it also, I struggled with that a little bit because it's so playful in its form. And the subject is often not very playful. Mm. You know, it's a lot about, you know, people struggling and people facing hardships and, the, the the way those two things interact didn't always feel natural. And I, that may not be a bad thing. Like that may be the point even. Right. But it made it jarring. Jarring yeah. to read. Hmm. You know? Yeah. I'm trying to think of a an example like that. Like, okay, there's a comic book called I Hate Fairyland. 
Okay. And it's like this little girl who looks like a, you know, rainbow bright situation and she's in like fairyland and it's candy land and all this stuff. But she has like the filthiest way of talking. Right. And like she hates being there and she's trying to get out, you know, and it's right. just like so the juxtaposition of the images you're seeing yes. and the text you're reading are weird. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little like reading a limerick about someone suffering abuse, you know? Yeah. It's like the the way that it's delivered and what it's about don't seem to necessarily match all the time. I could see. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Or sometimes like, I feel like this happens sometimes in hip hop where like, uh, okay, like Outkast had that hit with Hey Ya. Yeah. And I'm like... I know this is like a real upbeat song and like a feel good hit of the summer that year and you couldn't get away from it. Yeah. But I was like, the lyrical content of this is not necessarily like good time Charlie over here. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, I think about that song pumped up kicks by foster the people. Yeah. Yeah. Super catchy. And it's about school shootings. Right. Yeah. And if you don't listen to it, like you're just grooving out in your car, like, da, na, 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 na. Yeah. <laughs> and then you really listen and you're like, should I be singing along? Yeah. This is kind of weird, huh? This is a grim. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that was, that's, and I have to be honest, I'm only about halfway through it because of that struggle that I was having. Of, yeah. Um, and it also like that sing song, I can only take so much of it at yeah. once. Um, and then I have to like stop yeah. a little for a little bit and think about it. So it is broken up into relatively short chapters. So that's kind of how I've been going on about it is reading one of those short chapters about one of those characters and then kind of going away and reading something else for a while. Um, so I haven't finished it, but that's been my general response to it so far is it's um, I like I like how straightforward the writing is. I like that I know what's happening. Yeah. And I, I think that oftentimes he has some clever jokes and some fun rhymes in there. But when those rhymes are written about like an abortion, that makes right. it, it's jarring. And I, that might be the point. Like I said, that might be the point, but it doesn't make for a fun time in a book. I can see that. I know that author you know, was a very like biting humorist yeah. in, I remember I read this essay that he wrote years ago and it was, <laughs> it was super funny because it was basically about how he's always wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, cause one of, so one of his examples was about Madonna and he was like, I was out at this club, there was a performer, you know, no one was at the club for the performer. It was just who was on stage that night. Right. And he saw her and he was like, oh, she's awful. Like, how can anyone even stand this or whatever? And he's like, and then uh, that turned out to be Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> and then another one was, I think, basically about the Internet. Like he had the chance to basically be on the ground floor of like an early Internet, like AOL or something. Right. And he, you know, someone was explaining email to him and he was like, that is so stupid. No one is ever gonna do that why would anyone ever send an electronic letter that is so stupid and so he's like i've been severely wrong so many times well i have to admit i was one of the people who was like no one needs a cell phone yeah that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard of i don't want people to be able to call me whenever they want yeah 
And now my cell phone is pretty much in my pocket at all times. Yeah. Yeah, I think I hurt my my hand like scrolling on my phone so much. And then I was wearing like a wrist brace. And then I was delighted because I have a Velcro on the back of my phone and it stuck to the wrist brace. I was like, oh, this is like a cell phone holder. This is awesome. I do want to say, however, I think you have some of the healthiest relationships to your like cell phone habits of anyone that I know. Mostly because I like never have it with yes. me. Yes. I, <laughs> Thank there you. Are time, I, there, I think I have text messages that I've sent to you that you've never responded to. Probably. Yeah. I think most people, yeah, I mean, my partner's always horrified at the little red number of, like, unanswered text messages, because, yeah. you know, I'll be at, like, 145, and she's like, how do you even live? Like, how do you even continue on? And I'm like, eh. Well, no, you should let fine. her know that at one point, I was upwards of 10,000 unread emails. <laughs> That's a lot of I emails. Uh, most of them were in my junk email account that I use when I'm like buying things online. And oh, I'm sure. I'm going to get swamped with newsletters I don't care about. Right. But. You bought one thing from our t-shirt store. That means you probably want three newsletters every week, right? Oh, daily. <laughs> yeah. Some of these places. They're like, here's our morning email, our you know midday email, and our evening email. I always get on those and like unsubscribe. And yeah. then if it's like, why did you unsubscribe? And I'm like, if anyone outside the marketing department can hear me, this is not an effective method. Yeah. Like you can't email. I mean, the library is not emailing three newsletters a day. Yeah. Frankly, I don't want to hear from my best friend via email three times a day. Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> and also I'm like, well, what do you have today? Oh, same stuff you had four hours ago. Yeah. All right. I think I'm okay. Email me when you have your 40% off sale. Yeah. I want to hear about that. Yep. Other or like, that, you're going to help me put a down payment on a house with a larger closet. I guess we can talk about getting more t-shirts. But until then, I'm full. Yeah. I wish I could, yeah, just signal to everyone on the internet. Like, I could have some kind of color check on my Twitter that's like, can't buy any more t-shirts, guys. Right. Done. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I distracted you from <laughs> your fine. David Rakoff is always wrong. Yeah, he's always wrong. That's all. Oh, okay. Um, but he's like a, he's a very uh, biting humorist. Yeah. I, I definitely think the humor here is not going to be for everybody. Um, but I do, I, I mean, the reason I picked it up is because I found it intriguing. There yeah. are illustrations. Um, it is very straightforward and sing-songy. So it's some, you know, for lack of a better term, basic poetry, mm -hmm. you know? And uh Anyone who's interested in seeing what storytelling could look like that's not really pretentious right. in like a novel form, but in verse. Yeah. I think this would be a great one to try. Cool. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. And it is weird to think about, I guess, like, you know, we think about Shakespeare, like that all rhymes and stuff. Yeah. But it's like so out of fashion for so long to yeah. do. You don't see a lot of novels in verse, as yeah. they say. You see some in teen. Yeah. Yeah, every once in a while somebody comes, what is it, Ellen Hopkins? Ellen Hopkins. I think she's still writing them. Yeah. Yeah, and like, uh, what's his face? James Frey, James Fry. His books were a little like, they had weird line breaks and stuff like that. I don't know, I haven't, I didn't read anything by him, so I couldn't say. I loved his books. Can't can't vouch for his real life ethics. Yeah, but I'm like, 
you know what? I'm going to just have to trust the art, not the artist on this one. Yeah. <laughs> and move on. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that's the way of things. You know. <laughs> you know. I'm like, I don't know. He just, he wasn't as much of a bad boy as he said he was. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, any other. on the scale of, yeah, right. I know on this podcast, I come off as a real, <laughs> real bad boy, a rebel. Yeah. I, I told Olivia, my, who shares an office with me, she's another librarian. Um, and I don't remember the context, but I said, well, you know, I'm just more street than you. Yeah. <laughs> and she looked, she, I think, spit out some water. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, man. All right. All right. So for my second selection, I would like to hear about the Poetry Home Repair Manual. Great. Okay, so this is uh, almost exactly what it sounds like. The cover looks like one of those, uh, this old house or like Black and Decker would put out a thing yeah. that's like how to build a porch, you know. DIY for weekend warriors. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Ted Kuzer is a, a really talented poet who um, he writes in a style that like I affectionately think of, of like Seinfeld poetry. So like, you know, Seinfeld jokes are like, what's the deal with this? Right. And he writes poems that are kind of like, he sees a little thing or thinks of a little nugget of something and then kind of writes a poem to uh, unpack that idea. You know, he's got a more famous one. It's about, he saw this kid walking home from school, gets off the bus and he's got a backpack. And the kid is, like, smaller than the backpack, so it looks like a turtle, like, walking down the street and, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so he wrote this book that's, you know, it's basically a how-to-write poetry book. And the reason I brought it up for this was because uh, I think maybe for some people, like, the entrance into poetry needs to be just kind of trying it for themselves. Yeah. Um, because I think once you try it for yourself, you can appreciate what other people are doing a little more. And I think the home repair manual sort of setup is very apt because like, it's hard for me to imagine somebody reading like a woodworking book who has no interest in actually woodworking, you know, like that would be weird. Yeah. Or, uh, a book of cross stitch patterns and just being like, oh, I just read these for fun, you know, like... <laughs> Um, and you could appreciate cross-stitch patterns or woodworking a lot more if you, like, had tried to make something and you're like, okay, I had this was more difficult than I thought, or this was different. And so, I appreciate, he gives you very um, sort of practical exercises and things to try and uh, ways to write poems. Uh, you know, and without, there's no expectation of, like, then go get these published and right. do that. You know, it's more like for the craft of it. Yeah. And I really appreciate thinking about something artsy fartsy, like poetry from a craft standpoint of right. like, well, it doesn't have to be about uh, writing the best poem ever. It's right. about like the activity of doing it. What do you get out of that? And like, what do you enjoy? Cause like, furniture building's the same, right? Building a bookcase is not an efficient way to have a bookcase in your house. Right. I mean, you just get one flat pack from Ikea and have it built in 10 minutes, yeah. and then you have a bookcase. 10 minutes? Yeah. Wow. I'm pretty fast yeah. with the Ikea. 
<laughs> my partner and I, one of our first uh, dates, I use air quotes, was I bought a couch and we put it together. And her friend was like, if you put t- a couch together without like fighting, he might be yeah. the one. Like, <laughs> I was going to say, you guys went straight for like the, the big relationship test on, on your, your first go round. We really did. Wow. Yeah. Yep. And hey, it worked out. It did. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of full speed ahead right away. Yeah. So it worked. But anyway, so like activities like building a bookshelf, it's not just about like the practical need for a bookshelf. It's like about the activity of building it and right. learning about how it works and doing all these different things. Yeah. So I think that the poetry home repair manual works the same way. And it's like looking at writing poetry is not a means to an end, but just an end in itself. Right. And then, you know, other things, it's like if you practice writing poetry, you'll get better at other kinds of writing at the same time. Mm-hmm. And like even your emails and stuff will be a little better. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just a, but it's a very, uh, workmanlike view of the arts and I appreciate when people have that perspective and it's a great way to start and you don't have to have read a bunch of poetry to do this either right you know it's like well you're basically familiar with it it's like a chair building workshop where they're like well you sat in a chair right you could do this like it's okay it's not for artists it's for people Yeah, yeah exactly so that, that I wanted to bring that one up and encourage people. If if you've always felt like poetry is like, meh, or you're just completely without any context or a compass or whatever, right? you might try starting here. And when you're writing it and doing those kind of things, that can be a more palatable way to explore yeah. a new thing. Cool. Yeah. There we go. All right. All right, I I wanted to hear about all of your other books, but I guess I want to hear about the songwriting one. Okay, that working on a song. Interesting to me, yeah. I loved it, but um, as you know, I am a huge Broadway nerd. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> huge Broadway nerd, um, and I actually saw this show with the original cast uh, in New York before everything shut down. Okay, um, so I I was lucky enough to see this show um, at the Walter Kerr when it opened on Broadway. And I love it. I think it's a complicated show and I think it's beautiful. And it says a lot of things about like the human condition and reading about how she wrote it was very fulfilling for me. I will say that I think this works better if you know the music. Mm. So I would either see the show, which is coming to Denver this year. Um, I'm seeing it twice in one week. (laughs) (laughs) So if you want a celebrity sighting, this is your chance. Oh, yeah. It's very exciting. <laughs> Anonymous person in the middle of a huge crowd. <laughs> um, but we also have the cast recording and the original like concept album in the collection at the library. So you can get both of those and see it in its like original concept album version and in its final on-Broadway full cast performance version. So tell me... Because I don't know. Yeah. what What's a concept album versus a full cast? I guess I know what a full cast recording is. Yeah. But... So the cast recording is the final show. Like it opened, finished, nothing will change. It's done. The concept album is like, so Anais Mitchell is, um, she writes like folk music almost, like Americana style music. 
And she is just a solo performer, mostly, and a songwriter. Uh. And so she wrote a lot of these songs, and she was inspired by Greek mythology, specifically the stories of Hades and Persephone, uh-huh. which is um, a lot about the why the seasons change, because um, Persephone goes into the underworld, and while she's down there for six months of the year, we have fall and winter. When she comes back, we get spring and summer. Hmm. So it's that story. Mixed with the story of Orpheus and Eurydice. Do you know that one? Not really. Yeah, a lot of people don't. It's, um, so Orpheus was a poet. He was the son of a muse. And uh, he um, fell in love with a character named Eurydice, who in the original mythology is pretty much just a cardboard cut out of a human. But she gets a little more, uh, she gets a little more substance in the show. And um, at their wedding, in the original myth, at their wedding, she gets bitten by a snake and she oh, goes to the yeah. world. Okay. Yeah. And he goes to get her and Hades says, um, you can leave. You have to walk out. She'll follow you. If but you turn don't around. don't look back. Yes. If you turn around, that's it. And yeah. he turns around at the very end of the walk and she ends up back in, in the underworld. These old timey gods had a real thing about not looking back. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> She'll turn into salt, I'm yeah, telling yeah, you. exactly. And they, they can never resist, can they? No. It's never like, Hades said, don't look back, and then you shall be fine. Yeah. And then it's like, he took that warning. Yeah. Uh, at face value, didn't look back, everything, and they lived yeah. <laughs> Well, and she, the, the, the composer, she writes about how, how to write that in a way that will land for a modern audience. Like, yeah. Why would he turn back? And so yeah. she, how do you write a song that makes it believable and sympathetic that he did it and understandable without losing any of the heartbreak of it? Yeah. Yeah. Getting some of the like nuts and bolts of songwriting, because songs really are like poetry set to music, especially the kind that she writes. Um, her original songs were all too abstract poetic. Sure. And when you're writing a show, you need things to be a little more concrete. You need set pieces and you need, you know, plot. You need to tell a story. You need motivations. And so she writes about how, how it changed because um, she originally toured some of these songs just solo singing in clubs and, you know, coffee shops and stuff on her own. And then she did the concept album and there are people like Ani DeFranco on it. So she got some oh, cool wow. voices. Um, <laughs> And then it went like she did it at New York Theater Workshop and she put it on at Edmonton. She did off Broadway. It showed in Vermont. It showed in London and it changed every time. And she talks about how it changed and why and her struggles with, you know, things that she wanted to change but could never make work. And so ended up just taking it as it was. And so for anyone who's really interested in music and or theater. Um, it's really, really cool. I did have to get it through Prospector. It's not something we have in our collection. But um, I found it very absorbing. And the story is is just heartbreaking and also really, in a weird way, really hopeful. Yeah. It's, a, it open, it's like a cyclical musical. So it opens with them saying, we're going to sing this song. It's an old song. It's a tragedy. And then at the end, they say, this is an old song and it's a tragedy. And we're going to sing it again as if it might turn out this time, you know? Right. And so like the hope of like trying is what matters. Right. And I really like that. Oh yeah. Very poetic. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, me too. It's a beautiful musical. It's one of my all time favorites. 
the music is wonderful. Uh, and the book really makes it richer experience, I think. Well, sounds like a cool, like, uh, I don't know, artist process type book. Yeah, it, it really is. She sounds very patient. Yeah, <laughs> like 12 years. A lot of workshopping and like... Yeah, and she had like two dramaturgs. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like people who specialize in like making drama work. Oh, okay. So she talks about the meetings they would have and she would fall in love with a line and they would say, this doesn't work. You know, this makes Orpheus look like kind of a dope or this makes him look like he's unfeeling and we need to feel something for him and Eurydice doesn't needs to be not much of a puppet and so yeah the way that just tweaking certain lines or words or moving stuff around really interesting to me yeah there's a lot of process there yeah that's really cool yeah it was great and you don't even have to read her bits about how the music changed you could just read the lyrics if you wanted yeah and appreciate them for on their own I think that stuff's fun because like even if I don't know a lot about something yeah I think sort of hearing that inside, how did they make this work kind of stuff is really fun. Yeah. Listening to people who really, really know something is always interesting. Yeah. Like I heard a a musical PhD explaining why a song from Moana worked the way it worked. And I still (laughs) can't explain it. (laughs) But she would, she walked through the whole song and said, it starts out with this character in a major key and this character in a minor key. And then this character moves to a minor key, which forces this character to a major key, which changes it. And I still don't understand it, but listening to the way that it worked and knowing that it works for a reason yeah, is really cool. <laughs> it's pretty amazing, too, when you hear stuff like that, because you're like, I had no idea that yeah. this much thought went into a, like an animated movie. You yeah. Know, like, I wouldn't well, even music. Like, think about it. We all feel a certain way when we hear songs, yeah. and knowing that we... It's not an accident. Yeah. Like, it's done very purposefully. It's cool. Yeah, I mean, I remember hearing an interview with uh, Dave Windorf from Monster Magnet. So he's like a metal guy. But he was talking about pop music and, like, how, you know, he was, like, singing songs and he would sing a bit of a pop song and then he's, like, would sing, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And he's, like, you can see it's, like the same thing and he's like those sorts of things resonate with us you know and you're like i never in a million years would have thought about that (laughs) but you're so right yeah i was listening to an interview with lin-manuel miranda who was talking about that song we don't talk about bruno from encanto Uh and he was talking about the end where everyone is singing different lyrics and they're all layered on top of each other which is a very Broadway thing. So I was completely unsurprised by it. But a lot of people were like, what is happening? (laughs) And apparently it works because even though they're all singing different lyrics and in different keys, they're all singing the same chord progression. Oh, okay. And I was like, huh, so that's how, that's why it works. I never would have (laughs) known. That movie is about to get banned in my boss's house. Really? Because, yeah, he has young kids. And they're just like, it's basically on repeat in their house. (laughs) At least the music's good. Yeah. Could be worse. He was saying almost that same thing of like, it's not an intolerable movie to watch a hundred times. As as much as any movie is tolerable a (laughs) hundred times. Literal see, times. The best thing can become a bit of a trial after, <laughs> yeah. after the thousandth time you've heard it. Do I like a, a nacho plate? Yes. Yeah. Do I want a nacho plate every meal for every day for three months? 
Probably not. Yeah. No. I'm going to hit the wall. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we did it. Yeah. But you, you have to talk about your other books. Yeah. Okay. So my books were The Light at the Edge of Everything by Lisa Zimmerman. Old Man Laughing by Robert King. He was a local guy. You would see him around town a lot of times smoking. Um, he had this very distinct gravelly voice. Uh, he's super nice, super generous person. And um, he's got a lot of very funny poems. And they're like touching and funny at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot about, you know, how... There's a lot about aging in here. There's a lot about like discovering things as you age and how it's weird to still be learning sort of how to be a human being (laughs) when you're old. You're like, I thought I'd be kind of like a finished product by now. Yeah. But I guess... Wouldn't it be nice? (laughs) Yeah. The Rock Tumblr is still still cranking. (laughs) (laughs) Highly recommend. It's also like a super readable book and uh, we have it at the library. Uh, Poetry 180 which is edited by Billy Collins. It's a whole bunch of different poets. That's part of why I like it too, because uh, you can read through it and then find poets you like that way. Um, Some anthologies are rougher because they're so broad that it's like hard to know. And some are... um, Poetry anthologies tend to either be fancy or not fancy. Yeah. And so I tend towards the not fancy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, um, I, I copied a poem down, so I'm going to read it for this okay. because it's Billy Collins' poem that kind of introduces the whole book. I asked them to take a poem and hold it up to the light like a color slide or press an ear against its hive. I say drop a mouse into a poem and watch him probe his way out or walk inside the poem's room and feel the walls for a light switch. I want them to water ski across the surface of a poem, waving at the author's name on the shore. But all they want to do is tie the poem to a chair with rope and torture a confession out of it. They begin beating it with a hose to find out what it really means. That's nice. Yeah. And I like Billy Collins, though. He's great. He is good. And I, it's like, that's the perfect introduction to that book. Yeah. Because, yeah, you don't, you're not going to read that book and be like, but what does it mean? Right. You know, and it's not going to be a bunch of language poetry where it's like, eh, the words don't really mean anything. That's... It's all about how they sound together. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like that. It's me neither. It's for my brain. Yeah, it just doesn't speak to me. Yeah. Some people really love it. I think a lot of people who don't get into poetry, probably that doesn't work for them either. Yeah. But so there's lots of poems that are like this and they kind of tell you something and, you know, they just make a little point and then we move on. Yeah. Um, and then I had the Poetry Home Repair Manual by Ted Kuzer, yes. which can teach you how to write poetry. And I recommend giving it a shot. Yeah. Once you finish building your deck this summer, then <laughs> sit on it and do this. And write poetry. Because why did you build a deck if not to sit on it and write poetry? Yeah. What else are you going to do? I mean, I can't think of anything. I guess if you want me to come over and, like, destroy your deck and you can just rebuild it every summer. That sounds terrible. I know. (laughs) Don't recommend it. (laughs) But, you know, I I have to recognize some people may hate poetry so much they'd rather rebuild a deck every summer. (laughs) Well, and that's, you know, that's fine. (laughs) Everything's not for everybody. I'm not building any decks. Fair enough. (laughs) 
Uh, on the subject of uh, anthologies, yeah. I was this close. I'm making a very small finger gesture, like like half an inch, to picking a book called Poems That Make Grown Women Cry. Mm-hmm. Because I read its um, companion book a while ago, Poems That Make Grown Men Cry. Yeah. Um, but part of the reason I didn't is because I didn't particularly want to read a bunch of sad poems. Yeah. <laughs> and also... Um, it was a bit longer and there's a, a mixture of like that really old kind of abstract smarty pants poetry mm-hmm. and more modern stuff. And I didn't want to wade through and try to find the stuff I was going to like. Yeah. But anyway, I almost picked it. Yeah. Those are really good collections too. Yeah. But yeah, you'll find if you read a collection, just know if it has that like old timey smarty pants stuff in it and that's not your thing, just skip it. Skip it. Or, like, if you have to complete it, if you're that person, I guess, sit it on your lap, stare at the page for the appropriate amount of time, yeah. and then turn it. Yeah. <laughs> no one will know. <laughs> <laughs> Do your best, if and you then must. let it go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, my four. My first one is Love Poems for the Office by John Kenny, which I think would be an ideal point of entry for so many readers. Yeah. He is super, super funny and super, super understandable. Um, For example, there is a poem in here about um, a team building exercise. (laughs) And he says, you know, I'm really sorry that um, I didn't catch you in the trust fall. I didn't think that you would fall so hard or that your head would make that noise. (laughs) It's, you know, it's really funny and tongue in cheek and, um, a little bit of a dark humor, but in a, in a fun way. Yeah. And I found myself really laughing through the whole thing. So. And he's like a, a modern yes. poet. Yeah. Which, by which I mean, like, you know, things like cell phones will be in yeah. his poems, you know, email, yeah. Zoom calls. He talks about, there's a poem about a conference call. He's apologizing for not wearing pants and dancing while smacking his butt. <laughs> Um, he thought it was a phone conference call and not a video conference call. And he offers his apology to the people in the 19 different countries who were on the call. And he just cringe. <laughs> yep. Good stuff. Good stuff. Really I like funny. It. And great for anyone who's worked in an office setting. Like, yeah, it feels very real. <laughs> You're going to be like, I've been there. Yep. <laughs> uh, then we had Working on a Song by Anais Mitchell, which we talked about. Then Devotions by Mary Oliver. She's a poet that I really, really love. Um, I don't love everything she's written, but when she hits me, she hits me hard. Like, I really, really like her. She wrote a great one. I think it's called Migrations or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's, or something about wild geese. Yeah. I think it's her most famous poem and with for good reason. It's yep. great. Um, and that is one that I didn't sit down and just read. I literally would just leave it by my bedside and pick it up and flip through and find one that I liked and then put it down again. So Nice. Great for that. It's basically her whole career in a book of selected poems. Yeah. Yeah. She's one of the, one of the greats for sure. Yeah. She writes a lot about nature and aging and the nature of the divine. Yeah. So she writes about God sometimes in like a specific, you know, way where it's like God with a capital G and sometimes it's God as in like the force in the world that like guides things. So it's not necessarily like religious, but there's definitely 
a view of like an overarching system of the world and some awe about how it all works and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like a very uh, healthy sense of wonder of like, yeah, maybe there are things that I don't completely understand, yeah. you know, or something. Like, and maybe that's great. Like maybe yeah. the fact that I haven't, that I don't know at all is not only okay, but is wonderful. Yeah. I love that sentiment. Yeah, me too. I find that very appealing because I'm like, well, what's the alternative? We know everything now. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, and she died relatively recently. And so when she died, I decided to pick up devotions so that I could have it. It's my personal copy. I have it at home and dip into it every once in a while because I really, I quite like her. Cool. Her and Billy Collins are probably my two favorite, like go-to poets. And then Keats's odes. Yeah. Because the romantics, got to go back to those romantics. Got to have the romantics. Not the epics, though, just the odes. <laughs> I was also going to say, we had a listener uh, sent us an email. That's right. And was saying that she also was like, you know, thought for a long, long time that like poetry was too Marty Pants, Pants whatever, fancy and... Um, she took a class and read a book called Castaway by Naomi Shihab Nye that really um, helped change her mind. And she really enjoyed yeah. it and was like, oh, maybe this isn't all this one thing. You yeah. know, this isn't all. I was making a, a comparison on something else I was writing and I was saying like, uh, it'll be in our, our High Plains Library District newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> and I was saying like, you know, if you if you gave someone poetry and like all you gave them was like super like Lord Byron and stuff like yeah. that. And it's like, whatever. I'm like, that's kind of like if you let your kid play video games and the only games they played were like Mavis Beacon teaches typing. Right. And of course they're going to think video games are boring. Right. But it's like, that's because you've shown them only one tiny little sliver of yeah. what this is. Yeah. And it's not, you know, Mavis Beacon is fine, but, you know, it's not representative of an entire sure. genre. And I think that happens with poetry a lot. Yeah. People so see this one little sliver and understandably are like, not for me. Yeah. Thanks. So getting a little bit more into it, I think, can be a really enriching experience for a lot of people. Yeah. And, it, you know, I think sometimes people claim poetry like it's theirs like i'm the smarty pants with the degree and i know all of these rules about poetry and i know all of these references and you know that you have to be like me if you're gonna love poetry and i kind of like the idea of the rest of us taking it back a little and being yeah. like it doesn't have to be that and this is for me too yeah for sure yeah i think that's a, a great way to look at it and it does seem like in modern times that's happening more and more. Yeah. I think more and more people are talking about the poetry in hip hop. They're yeah. talking about slam poetry. They're Instagram talking poets. About Instagram poets. Um, talking about that one person who always wins the Goodreads poetry Langley thing that I hate. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a fan of hers either, but people love her and I'm glad for that. <laughs> it's fine. I don't need to trash Langley of today. <laughs> But your day's coming, Langley. <laughs> I'm coming. <laughs> All right. Well, that should just about wrap us up. Yep. I did want to get everyone excited for next time. 
because I am about 20% of the way through Ice Planet Barbarians. Yes, I <laughs> I got notification that this was happening and I got very excited. Uh, you are in for a ride, my friend. It's pretty wild already, I yeah. must say. It right. opens with a heck of a bang. It's bizarre. It does not pull many punches. <laughs> If it's, any. It's fun to read because I don't read a lot of like erotica. Mm -hmm. And I guess is that what this would romance slash? I mean, I guess I'm the wrong person to ask, I think. <laughs> it's definitely, I will grant you, it is definitely on the deep end of the pool when it comes to like the the weird part of romance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't read a lot of uh books where like a woman is <laughs> carrying on a relationship with a werewolf or sure. a creature from a lagoon of some kind. You know? Those are you're that's the shallow end, my friend. <laughs> you went from the from the deep end all the way back to the kiddie pool. Yeah, I mean I've already gotten into uh, you know, the ice planet barbarian I assume who the titular barbarian is. Very, very tall, blue. Yeah. Yeah. Has like some Sort of human anatomy, but then some additional... Oh, it's... There's a lot happening. I will say, weird. most of the aliens in romance have uh, very convenient yeah. human-like anatomy. And I have to say, I've read one where it was more insectoid. It was very interesting. <laughs> it's great, though. I will... I would love, Like, I don't want to cast dispersions. It was brilliant. I read one that with also insects, but it was like a sort of sentient swarm of bees, and it was not very good. <laughs> this was one of those like seven pagers with like a stock photo of a bee on the front, and then just like basically the one thing you expect to happen sort of happens, and then that's the entire thing. Well, mine was uh, for anyone who's interested, it's called Strange Love by Anna Gire. And it's a woman and her dog get abducted by aliens accidentally. And he looks like, so if you know Mass Effect, yeah, he looks like Garrus. He's kind of like okay. grasshoppery. Yeah. I think it's a little bit Mass Effect fanfic, if I'm being honest. Okay. Um, but it's, it's hysterical. <laughs> the, because she takes care of the dog, everyone assumes that the dog is like the superior being. So they grant it speech and it steals the show. It's the funniest dog ever. And it's a love story between a human and this grasshoppery creature. Think, and it's great. It really works. I think it was like a recommended with Ice Planet Barbarians. I'm not surprised. If I'm not mistaken. Well, if you enjoy it, feel free to move on to Strange Love. Well, we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how many of these in a row I could do. But it's a lot. This one so far, it's uh, it's got some propulsion to it. So They're kind of written to be like the book form of Pringles. Yeah. You know? I mean, it it clips along. Yeah. It wastes no time. Oh, none. By zero. the way, I was like, I don't know. I think maybe less than five pages in and she's been abducted by aliens. Yep. You know, I was like, oh, here we go. We're starting and she's like going home from work and she's kind of like, you know, typical whatever. And she's like, it's Thursday night. So that means like, go home and get in my pajamas night. And I was like, okay, I got it. There we go. Next thing I know, she's waking up on a spaceship. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> yep. You know what? I'm in. Yep. I didn't need, that's all I needed. Romance is great for that. Like, we all know why we're here. Why, why pretend? Let's not pretend.
I was going to tell you a quick Mass Effect thing. Okay, so Mass Effect, for everyone who doesn't know, is a video game. Yes. And it's a Bioware. combination of action and, like, decision-making yeah. and sort of your decisions. Role play a little bit. Yeah. Um, one of the things about it is you can design the character that you play as. Yes. Um, the default guy kind of looks like, I don't know, David Beckham, probably. I purposely designed my character because he's like, you know, a space combat guy. So I was like, I think this guy would look like he's been through it. Yeah. And so I decided to make the most odd looking character that I could. And he looked like Popeye if Popeye was like a real man. And it was so weird and so distracting that I could hardly play the game. Because, you know, there'd be dialogue sequences, and it was cutting back from somebody to my character, who, I mean, he looked, and, you know, everybody's talking to him like he just looks normal, and he does not look normal. Like, <laughs> he does not fit the world that he's in. And, you know, this is a world of, like, grasshopper men. Yeah. And he's still, I was like, he's still outrageously odd-looking. And it, you know, I, it was so strange, and it... I think prevented me from playing most of the game because I was like, I made a mistake. <laughs> it's yeah. too, I, all I could do was look at him and like when he was talking and I was like, this is so strange. I made a character who's basically a tough version of me. I think that's the way to go. Yeah. I think that's the, I, I always get tempted when I'm playing these games, you know, I'll play like, uh, what's the uh, Skyrim? Yeah. And I'm like, well, you can be a cat man. I think I have to be a cat man, right? Like, I can't just, what am I going to be, a guy? That's boring. But then it usually turns out to be a mistake. You know, I will say, when I first played Dragon Age Inquisition, which is my all-time favorite video game, and I've played it through twice, and I've started four characters, one of which I abandoned when I realized I was headed in a very bad direction. <laughs> <laughs> but my first character was a dwarf, with a very long braided red beard uh -huh. and long hair that was coiled up in braids on the top of his head. And I loved him. I, he's still my favorite. <laughs> it's just weird. Like, I don't know. I think on the character design, I need a little more guidance <laughs> and a little fewer options. Yeah. Because I think I know what I'm doing. But then I start messing around and I'm like, See, the secret is never, uh, like, adjust the ear stuff or yeah. the eye, like, the little... How details. far apart the eyes are yeah, is, like, you gotta leave that. that. <laughs> Just, like, change the hair color, the hairstyle, you know, the face shape, the presets only. Yeah. Like, don't don't adjust it yourself. You're not that good. None of no. us, like, you have, at least you and I aren't. Some people are out there are that good. Yeah. It is not us. That's exactly what happened in Mass Effect, because it's, like... You know, I don't know. I adjusted his like forehead and then his eye spacing or yep. so, and then how high his nose was on his face. And it was just like, this is not yeah. this is not like a human face anymore. Right. It's just you've created some kind of humanoid monster. I widened the uncanny valley and dove in like <laughs> at first. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> All right. Well, there we go. We did it. On that note. We talked about poetry and some video games. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty standard us. We covered it all. Yeah. And we covered all of our jokes. Yeah. We'll have to see what, uh, what 
what the ratings will be for this one. Yeah, I look forward to hearing hearing a report back on the quality of the jokes, especially since we did this experiment. Yeah. I want to hear what, I want to see what the star rating is on my joke. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've already told her your joke. I know. But I mean, she it still it deserves a rating. I mean, you uh, made it sound like she reluctantly allowed you to say it in public. You know, if I push her for a rating on my jokes, it's usually a, uh, I usually regret it because <laughs> it's not, it's not like, oh, that's a B minus. And I'm like, oh, okay. It's usually like, I don't know, a C. And I'm like, that's a C. You liked that one the best. What's this other one? And she's like, I don't want to talk about that one even. I wish you'd forgotten it. <laughs> well, you know, careful what you ask. I know. I know. Careful what you wish for, right? Yep. We can expect an adult to make a spreadsheet for us, but I can't expect her to like my jokes. Yeah, frankly, we're lucky she's willing to wrangle us this far. That's true. That's true. I shouldn't push our luck. That's right. All right. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye.